Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Are my pants on fire? Are you lying right now? Y no. Coming to you almost live from the Chinese hell of boiling liquids. This is the Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your uh, soupy. I, well, I was gonna say damned. Damned. Yeah, I mean that's true in so many ways in both life and death. It's true. But it's so good to be in the studio. It, it no matter where the studio is. Yeah. It's a little piece of heaven even in this <laughs> boiling hell. <laughs> And it's going to be a great show because we've invited a former guest back by the name of Randy Brzozowski. Yeah, he's uh, engaged in a new project, and that's a pretty good reason to invite someone back onto the show. Yeah, he... Because they're uh, doing something interesting. He talks good, too. He is also... He is a good storyteller. Yeah. And he has a story to tell about a story hive a little later in the show. Ooh, you're... It's very exciting. Little, I love it. little teaser for you there. Yeah. A uh, taste of what's to come. It'll, it'll be delicious. Now, uh, you may notice a slight buzzing in the background. Oh, yeah. That is not uh, due to the Chinese hell of boiling liquids. That is due to the fact that we came into the studio today, and we sat down, we hooked up all of our equipment as we do every day. Yep. And uh, we noticed that there was a terrible noise in the background. Yeah, so we spent like 10 or 15 minutes plugging and unplugging everything. And discovered that after four long years, at long last... Oh. Our uh, our technology has started to run its uh, natural lifespan down. Yeah, and, and it might be time to get some to invest in some new audio equipment. So we're going to be saying goodbye. It seems very soon to our Yamaha MG one hundred two C mixing board, and uh, possibly getting a new one. Yeah, uh, in order to continue bringing you a high quality show. So if you do hear the buzzing in the background, uh, and it should be very faint. Yeah, we've. Uh, We've checked. We can hear it a lot more loudly than it seemed to come across on the recording. And I feel like I'm going crazy. But uh, if you can hear it, know that we are aware and we are going to be fixing it as soon as possible. We're also deeply, deeply sorry. But there is a way that you can ensure that this doesn't happen again in the future. And that is to support our show. <laughs> because with your support, we will be able to buy... Uh, wonderful new audio technology. So for those of you who don't know, because we don't mention it enough, we are running a Patreon campaign right That's now. That's right. Uh, you can subscribe to the show uh, for as little as a dollar a month, uh, all the way up to as much money as you want to give us per month. Yeah. In fact, you can subscribe to the show for free. Which you have done, most likely. Because you're hearing us right now. And are probably not one of our seven subscribers. So we have to give a huge thanks to uh, Sam Brooks, Raman Ostad, Sylvia and Darren Chevry, Aaron Bourne, Karen Unland, Delaney LaGrange, and Greg Beaver for their support. And uh, now, we are not obligated to mention them every show. No. Uh, because they have not supported us at a level which guarantees that. But we are because there are only seven of them right now. And you could join them. Yes. Right now. And the next episode, we would mention your name on that list. And you would be internet famous. For at least a few moments. At before least. Before people forget. Yeah. Altogether. But uh, more importantly, there are perks that come with uh, subscribing to the Unknown Studio. Uh, including listening to the show a day early. Yep, we release it on Tuesdays for our patrons. And uh, Wednesdays on iTunes for everyone else. And uh, there are other things that you could get. Uh, tickets to our live season finale. Spoiler mm -hmm. alert, that's something that's going to be happening again. We legitimately have to do it now. <laughs> uh, possible merchandise, when and if we are able to afford merchandise. Exactly. Which is one of our milestones. So help us uh, reach those milestones and uh, make the show so much better. The amazing piece of internet that it is can be amazinger. Agreed. And and that is true. My pants are not on fire as I say that. They have gone out because he is now submersed in boiling liquid. Yeah. And telling the truth also. It's Seriously. amazing how boiling liquid just makes you want to... It's like a truth serum. Throw those, thro those truth bombs down. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and so uh, we do appreciate the support of the folks that have listened to us all this time, our patrons on Patreon that are supporting us, and hopefully you one of these days very soon. Indeed. Now, uh, I woke up to some rather odd news this morning, as I, as I believe you did as well. We're recording yes. this the Sunday before most people are hearing it. Yep. Um, and uh, it, it is Oscar Sunday. It's Oscar Sunday. We we recorded our uh, ill-informed Oscar show. You're going to uh, say early. ill-advised? That would have <laughs> that as well. That would have been accurate because uh, we uh, would be recording next on Oscar night. Now it would have just been too late to talk about the movies. Yeah. So we got together a little bit earlier uh, to to record this, and so that we wouldn't miss the Oscars. Uh, and we'll talk about probably some of that next uh, next episode. When we know how correct we were. We're obviously 100% correct. Clearly. Mark and Greg nailed that show. But the news that we got this morning was a little bit different. It was and that... somewhat more alarming. Yeah. It was that a, a, a terrorist organization, organization called Al-Shabaab... Who are based out of uh, Somalia. Yeah. Had uh, specifically mentioned West Edmonton Mall as a potential terrorist target. Yeah. And that caused some... Uh, I'm not, panic might be overstating it. It yeah. caused some concern, a little bit of alarm. I, I think that if, if you were sitting uh, at your computer looking at Twitter, you, you might start freaking out because every other message and retweet is really, is about this issue. The, uh, well, yeah, I, I work at a, at a radio news station. You may or may not be aware. And uh, we came in in the morning very early, as we do, around 4 a.m. for the morning shift. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the story hadn't quite broken. It, it was just kind of on the cusp of breaking. Uh, the Edmonton Journal had something out about it a little earlier because CNN had reported it, and uh, the CBC had just picked it up and had just started running running it. And we were like, oh, that's interesting. So we did some digging, and sure enough, that turned out to be the case. So we started running some stories about it, and it started to gain traction as the morning went. Yep. So by the time most people were awake by 8, 9 o'clock, it was kind of... It was the lead story yeah. in Edmonton. Yeah. And uh, it hasn't happened yet at the time of this recording, but the RCMP are even going to host a press conference talking about the issue, uh, West Edmonton Mall specifically. Yes. Because it was specifically named among other locations yeah, in this the, video. The, the terrorist guy mm-hmm. on the video, uh, they talk about uh, an attack they did I- undertake in Nairobi yep. uh, in 20, I want to say 13 off the top of my head. Yeah, September. Uh, some, yeah. some 60 to... 70 people were killed Correct. Yeah. Uh, in an attack on a shopping center. And they were basically calling on other radicalized Muslims, especially in the West, so North America and, and Western Europe, uh, to basically do the same thing, to find a major shopping center and go and, and kill a bunch of people. And he mentions the Mall of America, and he mentions West Edmonton Mall specifically mm-hmm. from North America by name, which is kind of chilling. Uh, yeah, in the one sense, just to, just to hear a terrorist in a terrorist video calling on people to attack people in a place in your backyard. Yeah, no, is, it's is true. Kind of, but it it also smacks of them like doing a Google search on biggest malls in the quite, free world. Also, probably yes. And and they uncovered you know the Mall of America, West Edmonton Mall, and Oxford Street in London. There you go. So those are just a few of the ones they mentioned. And apparently, I haven't watched the video, and I don't know if you can, but it was seventy seven minutes long. Um, you can. Certainly see snippets of it yeah. uh, in making the, the rounds. I just feel like, you know, I, I mean, one of the rules of, of like a YouTube video is probably make it two to three minutes, 77 fucking minutes. Like it. Well, it's a, it's a propaganda video. I know. It's not just, it's not just like a greatest hits of Al-Shabaab. That would be amazing though. I'm sure I'd watch 77 minutes of that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it is, it is a propaganda video uh, calling for uh, more radicalized uh, people to, to rise up against the decadent West. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. I think, I think it's just, you know, Edmonton, and we've discussed this before. Edmonton has a poor sense of self-worth. Agreed. Um, we, we tend to be as self-deprecating as, uh, any North American city in Edmonton. Pathologically self-deprecating. Yeah, like uh, Edmonton has a very big inferiority complex. For a big city, we are the smallest big city in our minds. And so for uh, a very dangerous group of people to specifically mention us when I think there's a perception that we would normally fly under the radar because who really thinks about Edmonton, 
I think that that, in a sense, maybe made made people. It was a shock to some people yeah, this morning. Certainly, certainly makes it makes me uneasy. I mean, doesn't mean I'm going to stop. Well, in Going order to, to stop shopping Mall. at West Edmonton Mall, I'd have well, to start. Here's the thing you need to remember. Yeah. If you change your day-to-day life because of the threats of terror, the terrorists win. Yeah. And that is that is what they want. They want to terrorize. They want to scare you into changing your lifestyle. So don't. They're all about disruption and... Yeah. Um, and uh, and you- the RCMP have even said, like, they're on this. They're aware that the threat was made. There is no indication. They're They're working with federal authorities. They're working with... Other municipal authorities like the EPS, they're working with mall security at West Edmonton Mall, and they are not in any way aware of an imminent attack. Yeah. The threat was made, but that doesn't mean that anything is planned. That doesn't mean anything will ever materialize. Yeah, and, and you know, governments and, and, and law enforcement have to take this seriously, and they are. And so, you know, keep keep doing what you do, Edmonton. Yeah, it, you, don't worry about but it. But it's funny, you know, you mentioned the, the inferiority uh, complex, and actually this week, the results of a survey that ESPN uh, did came out and uh, and part of the survey asked hockey players in the NHL where they absolutely would not want to go and overwhelmingly uh, Edmonton was one of the big ones uh, it's not high on a list of places that NHL players wish to move um, if I'm a millionaire yeah and I have a choice of where I want to live Somewhere warm and tropical is probably <laughs> high on the list. And I would not be surprised if even some of the crummy Southern teams who are not much better off than Edmonton in the standings are not on those lists simply because it's a nice place to live. Yeah. And there's a perception that as a famously winter city, Edmonton would be just a, a hellish frozen wasteland for most of the year. And why would you want to live there? There's a really great article that, uh, that Wanya Gretz wrote on Oilers Nation about this. Uh, and I'll, I'll get into a little bit of detail, but one of the criticisms that people seem to be having about uh, players saying, no way am I moving to Edmonton, is that Detroit is comparatively, if not more shitty, a place to live. What I think it actually boils down to is, does the, does the, 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 the squad here in Edmonton win Stanley Cups? The answer is Fuck no, it does not. I and that definitely has to play a part of it. The team is objectively ha- shitty and has been for so long that nobody wants to come. And, and you know what? If one or two star players were willing to say, "Yeah, I'd go to Edmonton," and I'd be riding in on a white horse and I'd be rescuing that franchise, that might that might change the course. But nobody seems to want to be that guy. Yeah, uh, there's there's a handful of people who. Uh, did come back, but that's because they had fond memories of Edmonton and they wanted to ride out their career here. You're Ryan Smiths, for example. Yeah. But uh, for, and and then we keep getting these young guns on the draft because we're dead last and we can get them. <laughs> and, uh, but beyond that, just like nobody seems to want to come because it's like, why bother with, why bother joining a losing team you i could suffer i could suffer the winners which aren't that bad i could suffer uh being really far north which isn't actually that bad the way that modern transportation works but i really do think under like i think that the like anyone who's thinking about who's making a decision on something the player's choice can be rationalized but it's probably an emotional choice and that emotional choice is i feel really good when i win hockey games and i don't think i'm going to be able to do that with the oilers uh, yeah, but one of the nobody nobody wants to be a loser, and you know what? That's that's kind of a harsh thing to say, and I don't think that any of the Edmonton Oilers want to be losers. I don't think that any of uh, the team's management want to be losers, and and certainly the city of Edmonton doesn't want to be perceived as a loser, as a loser city. And and the sad truth is when you're when one of your major professional sports teams performs as badly as the Oilers have for as long as the Oilers have, it does reflect poorly on the city. Yeah. And uh, there are people who I know who don't follow hockey and aren't really interested in hockey who do still feel the sting of the Oilers' lengthy and ongoing losing streak. It, they're a big part of the city's identity. They're a big part of the way the place feels. Nobody, nobody in that organization wants to be where that organization is right now. It's just that nobody has any idea how to fix it. Exactly. And, and, they're, and they're scrambling to try, and they're, they're just doing everything. And I'm not saying they're doing everything poorly. 
It's just that nothing is coming together. And it's partly because they're doing everything. Yeah, exactly. Now, but, but what I really loved about the Wanya Gretz article on Oilers Nation is that he gets into saying the thing that makes him the most upset about this ESPN survey is that not a single player stepped forward to de- defend the city. And I'll just read you an excerpt from from what he wrote. He He wrote, not one single player no one stepped forward to say, I read that article and it's a bunch of bullshit and I for one love playing here or, you know, sure it's cold, but given the all-you-can-eat crap buffet that we have served up on so many nights, there are a few places I can think of that will be better to play in front of a winning team than Edmonton. It's, I think that's all it boils down to. It's, it's about playing for a team whose, whose trajectory, at least, is clearly pointing upwards. And right now, it's not clear that th- this team's trajectory is pointing upwards. You know, for years and years, people have said the Oilers have hit rock bottom. <laughs> they can go no further. And you're right. There is a perception that somehow the trajectory is still downward, that somehow this team has not yet bottomed out. Yeah, it, it defies it defies thinking that that's even possible. I mean, we thought the worst of it was the year after the Stanley Cup run. And, and I, I feel like... That might have felt like the worst of it because it was the year after we almost, you know, got to the Stanley Cup final. Um, but it turns out uh, years and years of drudgery make it feel even worse. Uh, so I don't think that perception of the team is going to change until the team itself changes. And I don't know how you do that. Um, at what point do you say uh, that your rebuild has failed? And yeah, that you need to rebuild again. Well, I mean... Because the team has been rebuilding for eight years. And it seems like something that every single fan knows, but the t- and maybe the team knows, but they're not really saying it publicly. And I feel like, uh, you know, just a little bit of honesty about our fortunes as they are. And again, you know, we've, we've fired coaches, we'd fire, we've fired GMs. I'm sure there's some other people we could fire, and I'm not suggesting that we should, but let's look, let's put every single uh, human resource and asset the team seems to have on the table and think critically about it. And I don't think that's been done yet. But, you know, what do I know? And there, there, it might just be at the point now where you have to go, you know what, we've got all these number one draft picks, all these prospects that we've brought in, and maybe it's time that they start going somewhere else. Yeah, um, and not just because their their future might be brighter in another team, but because that opens us up to the possibility of bringing in other players who might, when in the mix, finally create something winning yeah. out of what we've got. And maybe that means you have to trade away a Taylor Hall or a, or a Ryan Nugent Hopkins, guys who you ideally would want to build the team around, but th- those are the people who are going to attract a trade with somebody. Yeah, and if they're not currently pulling their weight and you can't find the ways to motivate them. And that's another thing. The team doesn't seem disciplined. It seems like we're wasting, we're squandering all this amazing talent and these people are never going to be the stars that they should be in the environment they're in. Totally, totally. And I mean, that's that's a disservice to the players Mm -hmm. as much as it is a disservice to the team. Absolutely. Now, I want to switch gears really quickly. Let's talk about something less depressing than terrorism and the Oilers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Two words. I never thought I'd hear in the same sentence. Um, but it is the last week that you can get your nominations in for the Yeggies. That is correct. So you have until the uh, until 11.59 on February 28th to submit your nominations, yeggies.com slash nominations. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, I've, I've looked in and peeked in at the noms because, you know. Because you have the ability. Because I have the power. And subsequently, that power also means that the Unknown Studio, as always, disqualified from the Yeggies. But we would win all the categories if we had been possible, if we'd been allowed to be nominated. We've, we've mentioned this before, the irony that uh, we wanted there to be some sort of local social media award so that we could pat ourselves on the back and possibly win something. And then we kind of set out to make that a reality. And then because we set out to make that a reality are also disqualified from winning the awards that we helped create. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> we want it, we want it to be, to be fair and, and honest. And so, and that's part of the reason why, but I mean, uh, I'm, I'm so gratified that the people who do so much great, interesting and hard work, uh, mostly born out of passion, 
uh, get to be recognized. I think yes, it's and terrific. That's, we aren't the only people who we felt deserved recognition. Absolutely not. Yeah, uh, and that's good because we will never get that recognition. <laughs> that's true. So, but um, um, we've we've so far gotten over two hundred and twenty five nominations, which yes. is a record. It's our third year, and that's another. Uh, breakthrough in the number of nominations. And I think that it also speaks to the amount of stuff going on in the city. And yeah. we've, we've said that a lot before as well. Uh, a lot of people uh, crank about how we live in Dedmonton and there's nothing going on and they can't wait to get out. When the truth is, if they put some effort into, not even much effort. You don't into, have to anymore. Into seeking stuff out, they'd find that there is a lot going on in this city. Yeah. And the, if they put the same amount of effort they put into looking for stuff to do in Edmonton, wherever they end up, they're going to find nothing there either. Yeah, exactly. So um, to all those NHL players who don't want to move here, you should read blogs that are based in Edmonton and it'll change your perception of the city. Not just blogs, but like podcasts, uh, vlogs. There's you, you, Scott. You'd be astonished at the variety and caliber of the nominees. I would not, because I'm aware of the variety and caliber of stuff going on in Edmonton's social media scene. A lesser person would Indeed. be astonished. Uh, yeah, so it's really a lesser mortal than I. And so the way it works, because I get we get a lot of questions about this, and and uh, I haven't taken the time to update our uh, the Yegi's website the way I should. And I will do that. Because you're lazy. Are you? Yeah. And, and you know, and other stuff. in hell. Yeah. I mean, this boiling thing, it's not working for me anymore. <laughs> but um, what happens at the end of the nomination period is we, we shut her down. So you can't nominate anyone anymore. Uh, members of the Yegi's organizing committee will go through the nominations and sort of verify and validate them, make sure the information is being presented is correct. Sometimes we have to take people out of categories because it's not. A lot of people forget that in 2015, we're celebrating what happened last year, uh, for the most part. Anyway, um, so once the lists are sort of assembled and called, we bring in a panel of about 10 judges, and they spend the afternoon figuring out who the winners for each category are. So it's not even up to the, the people that organize the Yeggies to determine who the winners are. It's up to a jury of people who are plugged in to the social media scene. And then on May 9th at La Cité Francophone, we will be having the award ceremony, and it's going to be fabulous. I can't wait. And there's usually food and booze. There will be food, uh, there will be hors d'oeuvres, and you will be able to buy booze. And I'm trying to make sure there's two bars instead of one, because I don't want people waiting long to drink. Nor should they, really. It, that's not it is, cool. It is like the local Golden Globes. Yeah. In that there is food and there is booze. Yeah. And, and, and if nothing else, those are reasons you should come. And at least embarrassing speeches. And someone who's as funny as Tina Fey hosting, uh, once again this year, will be Trent Wilkie, along with Sarah Hoyles. Uh, this will be his uh, Ricky Gervais year, where he just is viciously attacking all of social media in yeah. Edmonton, and then never gets invited back. It's going to be amazing. You, yeah. you won't want to miss it. We'll have tickets on sale for that pretty soon. So keep your eyes open. Indeed. Because if you close them... You'll miss it. You'll miss it. And if you close your ears... You will miss the fabulous interview we have coming up with Randy Brzozowski, the creator of Necessary Evil. And we'll have that for you in just a moment. So we are joined now by our uh, returning guest, friend of the show, Randy Brzozowski. Uh, who is engaging in new things all the time, really. Yeah, what's, what's with that? Well, I, you know, I get bored easily. Yeah, you're, you're ambitious. You like to be entertained. I like to be entertained, and it's, it's really easy to get stuck in just the doing what you're supposed to do and what you have to do and checking off the list and getting your done and going home and being tired and watching Netflix and rinse and repeat and then opening your wrist in the bathtub. So rather than do that, I try and stimulate my creative side and come up with interesting ideas. Great. And this has led to uh, a tele, uh, I want to say a television series, but it's not, it's a web series. It's, it's funny. Uh, technically, it's a web series. Yes, it's being built as a web series, but it will be on TELUS Optic Television. So it is a so tele-web tele series. The web series is. So uh, the name of the, of the series is Necessary Evil. Yes. And we'll get your elevator pitch in a moment, but how did this come to be? Uh, well, this is actually an idea that's been percolating in my head for 
I did the math this morning, about 16 years. Whoa, um, whoa. Well, the, the seed of the idea. Sure. Right, the seed of the theme of the story. Uh, about 16 years ago, we did a little fringe show in a comedy group I was part of called The Wombats. It was called God, an Unauthorized Biography. <laughs> and it was about two angels who decided that since no one is really believing in God anymore and the secular part of society is getting larger and larger, that they were going to win people back by doing a fringe show. So two angels do a touring fringe show, and God looks at them and says, okay, good luck with that, and starts screwing with them. Um, the basic idea was to sort of uh, take Western theology and flip it on its arse and say, yeah, but what if it's really like this? And that sort of storytelling has always been really interesting to me, and there's a number of stories that are like that. A lot of, a lot of good fantasy, contemporary fantasy is based on the yeah, this is what we hear and this is what we think, but what if the backstory is completely different, leading to the same things that we see and that we know culturally, but where it comes from is not what you think at what, all. What you're seeing is out of context, and when you actually know the context, it puts a new spin on it. So exactly. in, a, in a way, this is about showing how that sausage gets made, uh, sort of, what you're describing. <laughs> how the <laughs> theological sausage the gets theological made. Theological sausage gets made. Um... I may never use that phraseology again to describe it, but yes, Adam, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> I'm just really fond of sausage, and I didn't want to say the pull back the curtain thing. Not in the same... Not as interesting. Yeah, no, that's true. Or not as delicious as sausage. sausage. You can't eat a curtain. Well... You can. You can. You shouldn't. Right. It's not good for you. Well, unless you make them out of bacon. Oh my God! A meat curtain. This <laughs> meat is exactly. Exact, wait a minute. That's something. Oh, hang on. Nope. Bacon curtain sounds interesting. Meat curtain sounds Gross. bad. And yeah. We're going down another dark path. I didn't go there. No. You said this. But uh, speaking of going down a dark path. Hey. Yes. Segway. Uh, <laughs> what you kind of set the stage. You had this kind of theological idea, and it turned into necessary evil. What is that about? Necessary evil. The 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 main pitch. It's about a. Uh, Low-level demon working in the cubicle seas of corporate hell. And yes, hell is a corporation because <clears throat> what's going to be more efficient at running the underworld than a corporation? Ah, uh, yes. Org charts. That's exactly. how you make that happen. <laughs> so, uh, and like all low-level staff, he sees the inefficiencies. He sees the problems. He wants to do something about it, but no one listens to him because uh, the pewter principle, people are elevated just to the level of their... Um, uh, inefficiency, in incapacity. Oh, what is it incompetence? called? Incompetence? Like People are elevated to the level of their incompetence. That's right, the Peter Principle, exactly, uh, which is alive and well in corporate hell. Um, so, of course, his great ideas for making things better don't get listened to. And he's one of the very few, if not the only one, who would actually have the bravery to say them because this is hell. No one's going to listen to you. Yeah. So one day he gets a phone call from the top office and no one ever comes back from the top office. So we think this is his end. Turns out he gets up there and discovers that Lucifer uh, has resigned from the position of Satan. Satan's a position, not a name. Um, and promoted him in his place. Because of his great ideas? Well. Or something? We don't know. Okay. We find out. A couple seasons in, we find out. Actually, about third season, we find out exactly why it happened. So you've got a series Bible already kind of mapped out. Pretty much. Um, I wrote the first season as 15 episodes. Those are all written. And I've got series arcs for seasons two, three, and four. So there's, there's a lot that goes on in this story. And, but but we're, we're focusing on small characters. I mean, I'm strongly influenced by Joss Whedon, not because I want to write just like him and have Buffy and Angel in it, um, but because he does a, such a great job of having these small groups of really identifiable characters that struggling with their own personal demons uh -huh, um, <laughs> end up impacting bigger events and actually changing the world. Right. Okay, so you, you started this 16 years ago. <laughs> so Technically. The, the idea, right? Yes. The seed of the idea. Yes. And... Um, you, at what point did you realize you actually had an opportunity to get this made? Because you've funded part of what you're doing through Telus Story Hive. Yes. So tell us a little bit about how you recognized that the time was right. Huh. Okay. Um, 
In another tangential project, mm -hmm. I am working with some other uh, partners to produce a feature film, an entirely different thing. I'm sure once we get closer to that, we'll come back and chat more about it. A three-peat for Randy Brzozowski Ooh. on like two seasons. That's very that. exciting. Wow. Yeah. Like um, so we we started this. Uh, my writing, uh, the writer and director of, of the of the short, Mark Canborg, came up with this idea of short. We put it together in a weekend, shot it. It's called All My Sins. Um, it's online. It's available. You can see it. Uh, and we will link to that on our website when, awesome. when you're listening to this. Um, great little story. And after we finished it, he said, there, there's a whole feature story here. This is like the final act of a feature. So why don't we write the feature? Uh, we started putting it together. And of course, it was written for myself and him. As we get closer and closer to bringing this to reality, we realize, okay, if we want to follow the actual system for doing a feature, which is ironic we're talking about the web series because it's so different, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, we need a star. You need a star. You need a distributor. You need money. You need all three things at the same time. Each of them trigger each other. So it's, it's kind of, you have to create a perfect storm. It's a chicken-egg thing almost? It's a, yes, exactly, but with three steps. So right. I don't know what the third step chicken, is. Chicken, egg, egg and, and... Farmer? Oh, I like that. Okay. Scott's got an idea. Nope. 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 Okay. You, you beat me to it. Damn it. It's, it's <sighs> gone. Um, so we realized we needed a star, and we looked at the script, uh, and we realized, oh, well, here's the role the star's going to want. Mine. So I am now a, I'm still a producer, but I'm a smaller role. And the reason I got into that in the first place was to get screen time. Because if you sit and wait until someone casts you and you become famous, you will be sitting and waiting for the rest of your life. So you have to make your own opportunities, which mm -hmm. is what we were doing with this. But my skin in the game for doing these creative projects is to get on screen. So here I am, actually one of the producers of a feature film, and I can't even cast myself. <laughs> that sucks. I need to boost my own profile. How do you do that? Well, web series has the least amount of barriers to entry. People have done amazing things with web series or web content. Let's just expand to web content. Sure, it doesn't actually have to be like an organized sort of series. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And so I was, I decided, I think about a year and a half ago, I said, okay, screw it. I'm going to write myself a web series. It's going to be my own vehicle. And what am I going to write about? And this idea that had been percolating in my head for 15 years went, oh, I could do that. Oh, I could really do that. And then I could do it this way. And then I started working on it, and I did the treatment, and then I broke down the episodes. And so I had all my episodes together, and I was saying, okay, here it is. Now I have to find some way to do this. Because with that film model, although it's getting harder and harder, there's still a model. Right. You can say, uh, here's the film. Uh, if we get a star signed on, we can take the script and the star to a distributor. The distributor can run it through a formula and say, well, it could probably make about this much money. The investors could say, oh, well, okay, and how much is it costing? Sure, we can get some rough numbers. Can't guarantee them, but the model, it's a high-risk investment model. We've got that all over the place, especially in Alberta. It's usually in oil or real estate, but we get that model. Yeah. I can't go to a guy and say, hey, do you want to give me $100,000 to shoot 15 episodes of a web series that has no plans for monetization so you'll never see it again? Hello? Right. So just a quick interjection then. Mm -hmm. in, in the case of a, you know, making a TV series or a film, the monetization aspect, the industry knows how to do that, right? They either sell commercials for a TV show right. or for a film, they just sell tickets. No, they sell it's, commercials for films. Uh, well, yeah, well, I guess product so. placements, yeah, that sort of thing. But there, there is a model. The model is changing rapidly, and yeah. Hollywood is going. Ah, how do we keep making our billions? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's so the other thing. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so with a web series, the monetization plan is maybe put it on YouTube and click the monetize box. Possibly, maybe possibly get sponsors. Possibly, maybe product placement, merchandise. Possibly product placement. Right. All these things depend on your audience. But but it makes a lot of sense in that uh, as a business that has a product, I can see how many people are interacting with it. Right. I do a product placement in a movie. You're going to give me box office numbers, but I don't know how many of those are repeats. I don't know how many of those are inflated. I don't know how many people stole the movie. I don't know. I it's it's kind of vague. Sure. With internet, you can track it better. There's still people who are sneaking downloads and whatnot, but you can still say, wow, you have 20,000 subscribers. 
That's worth. That's a good audience. That's pretty good. I'll give you some money to put my product in there. Yeah. And so you're proving the audience before the investment, whereas with traditional models, it's the other way around. Hmm. You have to get the investment in order to run the audience. And then you find out how well it did. Yeah, it's, it's like it's traditional a, advertising. It seems like a much bigger gamble for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so this all leads to StoryHive. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. That is exactly where I was going. And someone had a man, mind map uh, that's clearer than mine. There was a conference here in Edmonton called Story World Quest, which was all about building big story worlds. And how do you, one of the ways to make sure that a property is going to do really, really well is if, if it's not just a story that once it's told, it's done, there's nothing else to it. How can you build out the world? And they brought people from all over the place uh, to talk about different ways to do that. They also brought a number of broadcasters and content people and whatnot. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go to this because it's going to be interesting. But I have, I had a one page for Necessary Evil and I can start meeting these people because at conferences you get more of those opportunities. Maybe I can knock on a few doors. Right. One of the sponsors of the conference was StoryHive. And I saw the ad in the program and one of the speakers was from StoryHive. And I was like, oh, okay. I'd heard a bit about this. Maybe I should try it. Deadline's next week. Oh, dear. With my personal company, we were busier than we have been in a year. So I didn't have time to sleep. And now I had to put together a story how to pitch. I had to add that to my plate. And I thought, well, uh, maybe it's rushing it. We'll, we'll just do it next year. And then I discovered StoryHive changes its format every year. Last year was short films. This year it's web series. Next year it's going to be something else. Ooh. So that opportunity will disappear. So here's your week. Go. Then I did. And fortunately it worked out because I was one of the 15 semifinalists or winners of the first round that got the 10,000 to shoot the pilot. And uh, just out of curiosity, that's 15 out of how many submissions? Do you know? I believe it was 59 in Alberta. Holy sh- In Alberta? In Alberta. So they, they do a parallel contest. Well, it's part of the same contest, but they do a parallel run of the contest in BC. They had 106, and so they still only picked 15. It's all of TELUS's major territories. Basically, yeah. That's interesting. Wow. Did you... Did you so uh, you don't just... Say you're going to do it. Here's my treatment, and then they give you money. What are what are all the activities that lead that that start from we're going to do this to we get ten grand? Because it's not that easy. No, it's not that easy. Uh, we had to put together a pitch video, right? And uh, you can go on to uh, StoryHive. Still, click on the Alberta side of the contest. Uh, you can go see the 15 projects that were finalists. So you can see those 15 pitch videos. And you had to upload some other information, like ooh, whatever you wanted to try and make the project look interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some storyboards, uh, some character sketches, some production memos, a little uh, glowing eye test because there's a little bit of VFX in this. Not a lot because there's not a lot of money or a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. So some simple stuff like that, uh, including a two-minute pitch as to what it's about and why you might want to support it. And then I just tried building on social media and um, discovering that if you just blast all over social media, well, I need this. If you blast all over social media, people get sick of you. If you make personal requests, say, hey, and my biggest request was, as a favor to me, check it out. Don't vote as a favor to me. Vote if you like it, but as a favor to me, check it out, and then it's up to you. I was a recipient of one of those emails, uh, messages on Facebook, and I, I imagine you were too, Scott. I was given a personal request in person to my face, wow. to his face. Harder to, harder to say, fuck you, in those situations, but <laughs> I, have to, I have to tell you, the, mm-hmm. the way that you approached the, the sort of soft sell of it, mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. Because quite often, what I find with these kinds of things is you get a message that says, I'm doing this, go vote for me. Yeah, and what, it was interesting because I felt like your your approach to it was I'm doing this. A lot of other people are too. Here's my thing. Go look at all the other things, and if you want, throw me a vote. So I really I really appreciated that, and it compelled me to to vote for you. Cool. So cool, that well, was great. I mean that that's important to me because, and it ties into this new way of distributing things. You got to have real fans. If you don't have real fans, it's not going to catch. Mm-hmm. And you don't get real fans by saying vote because you owe me one. You get real fans by saying, I think you'll think this is cool. Check it out. And if you do, then like it. Yeah. And then, so I would say my core audience on social media 
um, a significant portion of them are people who actually think, no, no, this project is cool and I want to support it, as opposed to just, well, I know Randy, I should probably support him. <laughs> yeah. And we also do live in an age now where um, I think more and more people have uh, feel like they have a more personal connection to a lot of the stuff they are fans of mm-hmm. uh, because of social media, because you can interact with the stars of your favorite show or, or the characters, or the on, characters Twitter, on Twitter, like Asmodeus, at necessary underscore as. <laughs> but that, that personal connection uh, makes you feel like you have a little bit of a stake in it. Exactly. Ownership. And, exactly. And uh, so I think that that's uh, knowing that going into a project, and I don't want to use the word exploiting that necessarily because that kind of sounds negative. But, Leveraging. But exactly, yeah. Uh, that, that can help build kind of a grassroots support for something. Exactly. And that grassroots support, although at, at first blush it might look smaller, is much stronger. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a real core audience. Those are true fans not just fans, right? And, and they're more likely to tell their friends uh, that they're watching or that they're into this thing that they think that they think is interesting and, and so consequently they think their friends will think is interesting as well. Exactly. So you've, yeah, it's 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 the right way to do it in in modern times, you know? Right, right. Well, it's, it's, I mean, social media is all about being genuine and transparent. And if you're not, you don't get traction. So... Since you can connect with an audience on social media so immediately, why not be genuine and transparent? It makes sense. And yet so many people don't understand that simple logic. That common sense. Like Mm. any given, take one one politician that you can think, there's probably a dozen, but like... Anyway, that that could be a whole other conversation, but let's... We could talk about the... and, And just plant the seed of that conversation. I think it's the... I can't remember if it's federal or provincial. I think it's the provincial government's... Uh, social media policy, a Twitter policy. It's hilarious. And it is exactly what Twitter is not meant to do. <laughs> oh, God. Look that one up. Mm-hmm. Google that. I'm sure it's available publicly. I'm sure. Or you could FOIP it. It's $25. So you, you made it to the 15 finalists. Yes. For Story Hive. Mm-hmm. And now you've got your, your 10 grand. You're mm-hmm. making your pilot. You've made your pilot, presumably. We've shot it. We're just finishing up the post, the edit. We're almost at picture lock, which I was hoping to be at sooner. But, you know... Life happens. Uh, we've got a little bit of VFX we're working on. Very simple. Um, composing the sound, bringing that in. Uh, coloring, which is a whole different art altogether. That's a very important part of this. Um, and then the final sound mix. Slap it all together and get it off to tell us in two versions. One high-res for Optic TV and one still high-res but in uh, YouTube video codecs so that it on YouTube. So does that mean that the TELUS will air the pilots of all 15 of these shows? Yes. Wow. March 16th at midnight, they all go up, and they run for two weeks of voting. And that's how the next round of the contest goes. Okay. Um, the pilots run for the two weeks, from the 16th to the 29th, and uh, people can continue voting. It's another whole round of voting. But it's selected by a jury, and the jury selects based on the votes based on the social score of the project. So how good you are at promoting it in social media? I guess. Okay. A little vague on how what much, that is. They're a little vague. I okay. actually asked for clarification, and they decided to stay specifically vague. Because I said, you know, being an ad guy, I said, so what are you using for this social score? Like, I hope it's not clout, which is easy <laughs> to game. Yeah. Big Which, time. if it is, then I win. But um, maybe you do hope it's maybe, maybe it is. <laughs> and so, and it, it makes sense that they aren't going to say exactly what it is, so it can't be gamed. But still, I I don't know what that means. Is it just numbers? Is it engagement? Hopefully, you know. It actually sounds a little similar uh, to the Cineku model. And very similar. Which is the I believe Cineplex their contest that they run. Uh, They're affiliated with Cineplex, as far as I know. It is a separate entity, but it's a partnership with Cineplex for release. And there's there's a difference there. Um, Cineku is a, at its essence, it's a production studio. Ah, okay. And so they're running a contest to get scripts they can option or greenlight. So although the the rights can be negotiated as to who owns what or whatnot, they're going to be buying into those rights because of that. What's great about the Story Hive contest is that TELUS is basically giving you a grant 
They're not buying anything. They're giving you a grant to help produce it. And in exchange for that grant, they get a non-exclusive license to run it, which means you still own everything. That sounds a million times better. It is a million times better. Um, I mean, the scale is different. Sure. All told, if we win this, we get $60,000, and we will have done six episodes, which adds up to 48 minutes-ish. If you win Sinaku, you get a million dollars to do a feature and guaranteed distribution. So it's they're little apples and oranges that way. But it still feels like at the end, like you, if you make your Cinecoup production or you do your six episodes with StoryHive, there's still no guarantee that you get to do more after that. There's you never know? a guarantee. Ask Joss Whedon about guarantees. Right. Hey, this Firefly thing's going really well. Oh, yank. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, this Dollhouse thing is re- Oh, yank. <laughs> oh, I guess I'll just do big comic movies. <laughs> That's, maybe that's so. your destiny, Randy. Maybe that you'll be doing. <laughs> you, maybe you can do DC's comic movies or something. Oh, but anybody oh. else? Uh, yeah. Oh. Ugh. Ah. Anyway, so, so tell us about. I mean, I got to see some of the uh, production stills from mm-hmm. from your pilot shoot. It looked awesome. It looked like a lot of fun. It was. It was shot here in Edmonton. It was shot here in Edmonton. Did yeah. you do it in an office building in downtown Edmonton? Um. Yes. You, you did. You wound up finding space. We found there. space, yes. It yeah. was a little tricky because we needed to find a space that had no windows because in Hell, Hell LLP is the name of the organization, <laughs> uh, it's always night. So, I mean, my first slug line is interior, night. It's always night. So, if you have windows, that means you have to shoot at night, which means overnight shoots. Now, granted, in the middle of winter, you got more night hours, but by the same token, I didn't want to have to deal with that. So, we found a place that has no windows. All well, cubicles. It's also uh, a windowless space is just more soulless. Yeah. I well, mean, exactly. isn't that it's, exactly... It's, le- it's less uh, inviting. It just... it In my mind, it looks more like corporate hell if it's just like a sea of cubicles as far as the eye can see. I have yes. to say... And no escape from it. It, yeah. make, it makes me a little bit sad that you were able to find a place like that <laughs> here um, in Edmonton. Uh, for the record, uh, two things. One, it was very hard to find. Okay. And two... Um, when you're actually in there, it's not as bad. Okay. And it's not infinite. We, we're, that's the VFX shot we're trying to get set up, is that from one angle, you see that this office stretches on just forever. Away. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and, and I can't say which place it is because, um, one, they didn't tell me whether I could or not, and two, they don't probably want the association that working here is equivalent to working in hell. Well, that's I mean, fair. That's, that's, fair. that's also a function of the kinds of people you, you hire. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, like yourself. So that, yes. that you know, but I, I, I totally understand. <laughs> so, and I, I mean, it's the magic of cinema. Right. That's going to make it look hellish. That's Otherwise, right. it's all sunshine and lollipops in that office. Has this place uh, already given you a tentative agreement to film there again? Should you be able to film the uh, subsequent episodes? Hopefully. Um, they were really great to work with. They were fantastic. Uh, and the thing is, in the first 15 episodes, we only go back there once. Oh, there you go. So because that, that is one of the lower office pools. Mm. And uh, the main character just got promoted. The main character just got promoted to CEO. So there will be another office pool, but it will be where the executives hang out. And although it looks nicer, it's still not. In the production memo, I call it a lie better told. Hmm. Because it's still corporate hell. Corporate hell, you betcha. It's and just everyone a corporate is lying. It's been painted a little nicer. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's lying to themselves and each other more efficiently because they're senior demons. Uh, but it's still a lie. Uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, that uh, Satan is a title. Mm-hmm. Is there a board of directors? Like, have you thought about that? Like, because I wonder, like, who ultimately, you know, is Satan the decider of all the things that happen at corporate hell? Uh, there's not a board of directors. Um, uh, but that how corporate hell works and how the rest of the universe works has, has been worked out and I can't just explain it all because it, it, it gets revealed things, yeah. Fair enough. but something and I was chatting with Scott about this is that there is it, this has been used in uh, fantasy storytelling in the past um, different mythologies rise and fall based on the belief in the world and how many people believe in those particular gods or deities or demons or devils or whatever. So there's a bit of that going on. Um, and hell being that the, you know, God and Satan mythology is the strongest in our world today. Um, it's just that hell is the dominant one, but Mm. Hades works at hell LLP. 
Why? Because Satan was rising in dominance. Uh, the Greek gods were starting to fade. And uh, Lucifer walked up to him and said, so, you're going to come work for me or you'll be out of a job? <laughs> that's awesome. Corporate takeovers, friendly or unfriendly mergers, that sort of thing. And that's part of how hell has become such an empire in the underworld. But those other remnants of other deities and, and uh, um, pantheons still exist. That's great. That's fantastic. What, a, what an interesting... Um uh, way of looking at it, actually. I love that. So, okay, so you, you, you get an office space that's hellish. Mm-hmm. And how, how many days or, or did you guys shoot the pilot over? We shot for two days. Okay. Yeah. Pretty intensive stuff? Or was it, was it a comfortable schedule? Um, it was, we were actually almost bang on. We had an optimistic, what's called a target of opportunity. If we get done fast enough, we'll also shoot this so tomorrow is shorter. Oh, okay. We didn't get done fast enough but that's okay. The original schedule thought we weren't going to. So the shoot schedule wasn't too bad. Um, and I, uh, I'm still amazed at the people who came out because $10,000 to do a professional two-day shoot for eight minutes technically is almost enough, but it's not. Yeah. So there was a lot of favors being called in. And, the, and I mean, Edmonton is great. I think I've talked about this with you. In, in other venues, Edmonton has a real um, cooperative sort of a favor economy, but a favor economy can get used up really fast if you keep asking for favors and then never take the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately, I think I haven't asked for many favors from the film industry. So I cashed them all in on this one. <laughs> uh, and strangely or awesomely, we got the A-team. We got the people that Hollywood calls when they come here to shoot. That's we got fabulous. The, the A crew. Wow. Um, probably one of the best DOPs in Western Canada, the best sound guy, the best hair and makeup. And it just, it was the crew. That's, that's amazing. It was. It was such an honor and terrifying to be on set with my baby project, trying to act and seeing all these people around that are, that are working for less than they should, some people working for free, mm-hmm. because they too said, no, this is cool, it sounds like fun, I like the project, let's do it. That's fantastic. It's, it's an amazing community we have well, here. And sometimes the right project comes along that just grabs people too. Mm-hmm. And so. I guess in a way they're sort of assuming some of that risk, you know, they, they've, they've, they wouldn't do it if they didn't think it was interesting. They think right. it might have legs, and so why not? And if it gets legs, then they might be able to make some coin doing it down the road. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. The, the way the numbers work, if we, get to sh- if we win the next round of the contest and get to shoot the next five episodes, the dollars per minute go up almost double, not quite double. That's good. Which basically means we can pay more people a fair rate. Mm-hmm. They, uh, some, some, I mean, just had to work for their rate. Some worked for a reduced rate. Some worked for free. We'd be able to do, set a fair rate, and everybody would be able to get that. That's so cool. that would be fantastic because that is one thing I that really means a lot to me is to be able to say, no, you were giving me your your passion, your effort, your skills, your talent, and I'm going to repay you for this, mm-hmm. whether it's cash or favors or whatever. I can actually say thank you. Here you go. And that's meaningful to me. That's great. Now, you talked a little bit earlier, we talked about there's a jury, there's mm-hmm. the social score, score. Mm-hmm. there's voting. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, are there any other factors that come into play for this jury in this next round of, of voting? I think, I think that's about it. I mean, excuse me, chai tea. Um, I think that uh, the biggest thing is going to be getting, I mean, of course, the votes. Uh, so you can expect another really personal email yeah, uh, soon. That's great. Um, but the uh, building up that social score, because I'm a little vague as to what that means, <laughs> uh, but I have a Facebook page for the, the show, which hopefully will be in the show notes. It will, absolutely. Uh, like I said, Asmodeus has his own little Twitter handle um, where he tweets from hell as to what his job is like. So uh, if I can get followers on that... And again, uh, and here's my ask to all you wonderful listeners of the Unknown Studio: check it out. If you think it's cool, follow, like, share. It's not your thing. Totally cool. Don't don't follow or like or share it if it's not your thing. Don't do it as a favor. Do it because you like it. Mm-hmm. 
And while you're at it, you should probably also check out the other StoryHive projects. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's some neat those are, stuff going on. Those are also the passion projects of other people. They are. They are. Out. And, and uh, having seen and met a couple of the other people who are doing stuff, there are some fascinating ideas out there. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see what these 15 projects are going to be like. It's great. I think it's amazing that, that this is being done. Um, when does the next round of voting begin? Because we want people to be hunched over their computers, poised and ready. March 16th. March, March 16th, 16th at midnight. You said everything midnight, goes up. That's when everything goes up and the next round of voting starts. There you go. In earnest. And, so, and, and if you follow on Facebook or, or check out the webpage, um, we'll be talking about that semi-incessantly. Not incessantly, but, but still, you, you won't miss it if you're following us. All, all links to that stuff is going to be our sh- in our show notes. If you go to yycyeg.storyhive.com, you'll find out more about all the things that are happening at StoryHive. Absolutely. Did we miss anything, Randy, that you think we need to share with people hmm. other than vote if you love it? You vote if you love it. Um, I'm, I'm, I guess I, I haven't been very passionate about how much I love it. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to be very polite, but with setting this story in corporate hell, it's an environment that everybody can identify with I think there's very few people, even if you haven't worked in a cubicle C in an office, you know someone who has. And you, you kind of know the experience. If you've ever read a Dilbert comic, you know the experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very universal. And what I love about the, the structure of these demons in hell in an office is that it allows us to explore so many different story ideas, little ones and big ones. And we can talk about some of the some of the big things that we don't that, that are issues today, like uh, uh, gender equality, consent, and 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 uh, uh, social justice, and all those things, which is what fantasy is great for, using different characters to tell those same stories to give you a different point of view. So we can do a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. um, and we can also play those big what if questions with the nature of the universe. So there is a. There's a tremendous amount of stuff we can do with this. And like I said, I've, I've arced out a bunch of the big plot points and all these other ideas. Like I can't write fast enough to fit all the ideas in. Oh, that's awesome. It, there's, there's so much, and it's going to be fun. And, oh, yes, the tone. If you need to encapsulate the concept in a sentence, if Joss Whedon combined Supernatural and The Office. Oh, my god, That's necessary evil. Oh that's my. that is the elevator pitch. That, that's that you know that's really interesting because I mean I can't think of two more opposite shows, and yet Supernatural Supernatural deals with the the serious and the silly. Yes, it does simultaneously. Like there's some pretty horrific shit in that show. There is, but the relationships, the 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 characters, and what's going on between them, that's that's what the show is about, right? Yeah. And their their banter and their dialogue especially as it's evolved over 10 seasons. It's just so authentic and tight and fun. And, and when they say things or when they specifically don't say things, you read so much in there. So that there's that real personal connection mired in this world of supernatural gone whack. Yeah. And so trying to channel that, the mundane, um, omnipresent hell of an office... And I try and say it in that voice because I mean, there's offices and then there's office. Yeah. Um, and if and and Joss Whedon's approach to storytelling and small characters in big worlds, cram all those together, and that's my source material. That's great. That sounds really interesting. So check out uh, yycyeg.storyhive.com. We've got links to all of Randy's stuff in the show notes and. Man, what a pleasure it was to have you on the show again. Always, Always a yeah. pleasure to be here. Yeah, and we will have you back when the next big thing happens. Absolutely. I will be thrilled to sit here and listen to the sound of my own voice again. We also will. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. All right. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 112. Our guest, Randy Brzozowski. Reproduction by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. Subscribe today at patreon.com slash Studio. Visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.
<laughs> this is a long, awkward pause because it, I lost it. Yes. Um, the China, the Chinese mythology has so many wonderful hells in it. And they're all like a different thing. It's like the hell of flayed children and the hell of burning faces. And those aren't actual Chinese hells, but it's stuff like that. They have 10 courts. You want to hear what they are? Sure. Hang on. There is uh ooh, this is confusing. This might not be helpful. Never mind. Um, they have a mountain of knives. They have sorry, they have 18 levels of hell. So they've got a mountain of knives, a cauldron of tort a cauldron torture, dismemberment, grinding torture, burning, pow-lau torture, where you're stripped naked and tied to a large hollow metal cylinder with fire at its base. Uh, <laughs> boiling liquid, tortures involving removal of body parts and organs, uh, ice world, scales and hooks torture, pool of blood, and tortures involving animals, so being trampled or gored. That's... The Chinese, they're really onto something. They're really onto something. 